Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hi, and welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. I'm Stan Phelps, an author and a speaker that examines the future of both the customer, the employee, and the brand experience. Well, Stan, thank you very much for being on the series. It's great to have you. You come highly recommended. And I'm particularly interested in the personal side to you. You're always out there uh, inspiring people, motivating them, uh, and also both virtual and real. You can do both very successfully. You're qualified on virtual speaking facilitation. But tell us a bit about your life journey that got you to this successful point now. How did you grow up? Who influenced you? Tell us a bit about the real you. Yeah, thank you, Jonathan. Well, born in Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is relevant because that's uh, the home of the fictional home of the office in the US. Um, it's actually the birthplace of our president-elect Joe Biden. It's also where HBO uh, was founded and actually where I was born. So, uh, but grew up in New York, not too far from West Point. So right on the Hudson River, mm -hmm. just north of New York City. Uh, ended up moving to Connecticut when I was 15, but uh, studied marketing undergraduate. Uh, at a small liberal arts college in New York. Uh, ended up spending a year over in London, living and working before coming back and doing my graduate studies in both law and business. And then uh, I wanted to work in sports. I ended up working with an agency while I was in graduate school called IMG parlayed that into some connections. When I finished grad school, worked for eight years for Adidas, um, or as we say here in the US, Adidas, but everywhere else in the world, Adidas. Fantastic experience working on the brand side with uh, not only managing tennis, both in the US, but globally, but I also spent uh, the part of three seasons with the New York Yankees. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually had my office in the stadium at, at Yankee Stadium. And that was just a, growing up in New York, that was a thrill. And then I, I worked in golf for a couple of years with the PGA of America. And then I went back to the agency side, working for a small experiential marketing agency, creating brand experience before uh, having a little bit of a revelation, which then led to a book. And then uh, as I was sharing with you earlier, we're, we're now 17 books in. And for the last eight years, eight plus years, um, working as a professional speaker and author, really trying to chase the future of business. Yeah, that, that's a, a fascinating area. and. I'm dying to know that that moment that 
changed things and you wrote the book, what actually happened for you? So I, back in, in 2008, I had spent about a year, I started a blog, it was called Nine Inch Marketing. So uh, we can say inches, because, uh, but that's about 23 centimeters. Um, it's actually the exact distance between the stem of your brain and the top of your heart. But for most people, it's the width between their thumb and their pinky. Um, so for a year, I kind of explored different topics in marketing, and I was looking for the one thing that I thought Jonathan could be a game changer. And I, I stumbled on this idea of a concept called Lanyap. Have you ever heard of Lanyap before? No. no. So it's, it's a Creole word. So it comes from uh, Louisiana. Yep. It originated in the 1800s. In fact, Mark Twain wrote in his autobiography, he said that Lanyap was a word worth traveling to New Orleans to get. And it's this idea of doing a little something extra that a business does to kind of go beyond the transaction and honor the relationship with the customer. Mm. And I thought at the time that marketing was way too focused on the prospect and getting the prospect through the door and not enough attention from a marketing and operational perspective was focusing on the experience that you provide to the customer that you have. And, and the idea that if you take care of the customers you have and provide that great experience, that they'll ultimately bring you the customers you want. That's very good. No, I, so I, that was the revelation that, and I, and I had kind of a, a moment of truth that happened to me. It was an experience in New York City that led me down this, this role road of, hey, this is something I need to explore. Yeah, yeah. And talk about experiences and moments of truth. As you were growing up, you know, you're, you're quite a dynamic and powerful person. You have a lot of charisma about you. Where did that come from? Who were who your role models? Who were your inspirations? I know you probably got a lot in sport, but, but who influenced you? Parents, teachers? Just tell us, just make it, make it um, very personal for you. Yeah, you know, my, my, my dad was a, was a big influence on my life. My dad was a very committed individual, Jonathan. So he worked 40 years with the same company. Wow. Um, he spent 50 years as a national ski patroller. Hmm. Um, and right before my mom passed, he was, you know, they spent just over 59 years of marriage. Um, so he would, he instilled, you know, a spirit within me that, you know, you start, you finish. Mm. Um, and I think that, you know, for me, that was a big thing. And my mom was also a big supporter of, of mine. And I, you have these crossroads in your life. I remember being home from university and, you know, the goal was, you know, try to make some money over the summer. And my dad worked on this natural gas pipeline and he had set aside this job for me, which at the time I would probably make about $10 an hour, which, you know, was good money. Um, 
And, but I wanted to pursue working in sports. And I remember I got a job as a, an offer to be a, to teach tennis for the summer at a camp. And I'll never forget this. I, I, I probably was working about 70 hours a week and I was making $130 a week um, for doing that job. And my mom said to, you know, really had to have the, the talk with my dad. Hey, this is something he's passionate about. Like, let's let him explore that passion. Um, and I don't know if I've ever told anyone that story, but that was a big kind of crossroads of like, you know, the money will come, follow what you love and what you're interested in. Yeah, that's, that's very powerful. And, and in your life thus far, uh, now you're in your 50s and a lot of wisdom. Um, when you look back at the highs and lows that you've had, what, what, what were some of the darkest moments you personally had and what did you learn from them? And then what was a proudest moment and what did you learn from that? Yeah, I, I have to say, like, I, I, um, I've only ever had to look for a job a couple of times in my life. And so after I, I, I met my wife while I was living overseas in Amsterdam, working for Adidas, and I knew you get to a, you get to a crossroads again and you're like, well, if we're going to make this work, it's not going to be a long distance thing. So I, I had to leave. There was nothing for me if I left Adidas and I moved back to Connecticut. And for the first time, I really had to look for a job. And, and working, I wanted to work in sports. And so that's a very competitive field to be in. And so, you know, there were times there where it just, it took about four or five months to do it. And, um, you know, there were certainly some low points. I think anyone who's ever went through transition knows that you start to doubt your own worth. Yeah. And you start not, not to get desperate, but you start to maybe make concessions. And that's, you know, I'll never forget that. So one of the things I do, and I just do this, I don't charge for this, but I, I try to help out as many people with guidance that are in transition. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's really good of you. And what about, what would be the thing you're proudest of in your life? You know, I, th I think, uh, I think finishing my first book yeah. was, was a really proud moment. And I'll tell you why, Jonathan, I, this is ridiculous. I decided when I went on this journey that I was going to collect a thousand and one examples of that concept of lanyap. So the idea of a business purposefully doing a little something extra because I thought, hey, if I if I crowdsource all these examples, you know, that's how the book will will come about. So let let's oh let's do a thousand and one. Well, it took just about twenty seven months to collect all of those examples and write that first book. And you know, there were times where, you know, six seven hundred examples, and I was like, oh, is this Maybe I should just give up. And so I'm a big believer in if you have a goal, share it with people, make yourself accountable. And so 
getting that book across the line was was probably one of the greatest challenges and rewards of of my life yeah yeah and uh having written three books myself i i really respect you for writing writing 17 i my next book is inspiring ceos and their boards and i'm going to be using the podcast that i've interviewed people on and their stories to to put that book together but i haven't yet given myself a deadline and i know you need to do that but look that's great stan and and then um Looking back with all the experience you've had by now and the different people you've met, if you met your young 18-year-old self who was just finishing off that tennis camp, what bit of wisdom and advice would you give yourself, knowing all the things you know now, if there was a bit of sound advice? You know, I I think if I could talk to my younger self, I, I would firmly say that, hey, you know, asking for help is not a sign of weakness. Yeah. I like you know, one of the things Jonathan, my, my father taught me, and I think, I think this is a great lesson that it's, it's always better to lend a hand than to need one. God. Yeah. But that doesn't discount that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to share what your goals are and and to get help from people along the way and so i I wish i would have embraced that maybe at a younger younger age yeah good good sound advice for anybody listening Uh, and and then stan we're thinking about the eight elements of the inspiring leadership work that we've done um the first one that that contributes is moral quotient integrity values beliefs what what have been some of the, the top two or three values and beliefs that you live by and and what's happened when you've let them slip and how did you pick yourself back up again when you you let yourself down on the values that you were brought up with or you held to be important yeah so it, it, i'll go back to the one i shared earlier from my dad you know you start you finish and so i have two teenage boys and i tell them look there's only one rule in our house you start, you finish. Um, and and I, I think for me, I've, I've done a pretty good job of, of being able to do that in my life. I think um, the other one that, that sometimes I slip on is my, my dad would always share advice that a Swedish friend of, of his gave to, to my dad. My dad's name was John. And so this Swedish gentleman would always look at my dad and he would say, Yanni, he says, don't talk about it, do it, and then talk about it. That gets it done, right? And so sometimes I can get, I'm, a, I'm an idea guy. I'm what's considered an influence type of personality. So I can be very much caught up in the idea and not get caught into actually the action part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so I've come to learn that there's no book that I'll ever write that will be perfect. And that perfection is the enemy of, of getting stuff done. Yeah. And so my, my friend was in the Navy uh, and he shared this with me 
and I don't know if this is a Navy thing or not, but he would say to me, he would say 70% perfect, 100% done. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. And, yeah. and so uh, what I've given myself a little bit of license in my books, I'm now on the third book where I'm doing a 2.0. And what that's allowed me to figure out is don't feel like you have to have it totally figured out right? It's always going to iterate and move forward. Just put it out, you know, put it out there and know that you always have the opportunity to go back and make it better. Yeah, no, that's very good. And in fact, I'm thinking that with my, my very first book I did in 2010, I know now I could do it so much better. And you, you mentioned how when I was uh, with Kevin Roberts, I talked about the dyslexia. And of course, I was reading my book from a script onto the the uh, the audio and of course my way of learning is audio and look at listening back to it, it was quite wooden whereas I, I shouldn't read something that's that's like the worst you, you're making all the weaknesses even worse and so then you feel more self-conscious I should just tell a story and have a couple of notes but but just tell it um, so that's an interesting one the, the next uh, of the eight elements is purpose meaning and purpose or what people would call spiritual intelligence SQ or, or PQ what gives your life meaning and purpose? Here you are doing this work. What is it that's, what, what's your calling, your vocation? You know, I, I really feel like the, the, that moment of truth that led me on this journey to be a force of change in business. And, and I'll tell you the, the quick story, Jonathan. I was, I'm assuming you visited New York City a number of times. I have, and I love it. They, they have these brilliant rooftop bars in Manhattan. And I was with a work colleague named Brad. And we were about to go to a networking event. God, wouldn't we all kill to go to a networking event right now? But we were, we were going to go. It was like a sports marketing network event. And we were waiting for a couple people to show up. And so we were at one of these rooftop bars. And there was this older gentleman sitting right across from me. And he was by himself, and every few minutes, I could see him scan the entire bar. And it was obvious to me that he was waiting for someone to show up. And about a half an hour passes, and no one's showing up for this guy. So I start feeling bad for him. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm an outward guy. I'm an extrovert. I lean into him, and I say, I go, excuse me. I go, do you know we spend 10% of our life waiting? Have you ever heard that stat before? I haven't, no. So it's true, and I know it's true because I once read it on the internet. So, so it has to be true. <laughs> and so we, this older gentleman and I just started talking about kind of the etiquette of waiting. And, and I was stressing the importance of, you know, I'm very much, this was, you know, born into me from my father is you got to be on time. In fact, if you're on time, you're, you're probably late, right? Um, you got to be there early. And so we started talking about the etiquette of being on time. And this guy said something to me that changed the direction of my life. He looked me in the eye, Jonathan. He said, on time, he said, no one in life is ever on time. And I said, wait a second. I said, I've been on time before. 
I go, maybe not as often as I'd like, but I've been on time before. And to rub it in, he put his finger in my face and he gave me the back and forth. We call it the Dikembe finger wave from this basketball player. And he said, no. He said, in fact, on time is a myth. He said, people in life are either early or they're late. He said, no one is ever just on time. And I'll never forget, I took the train home from Manhattan up to Connecticut where I lived about an hour away. And I started thinking about how that applies in business, specifically to the idea of the customers that we serve. And the idea that we never ever, in my opinion, just simply meet the expectations of a customer, right? You either exceed expectations or you fall short. And so from that minute, that was the impetus of going, I'm gonna purposely look for organizations that by design, Jonathan, purposely do a little something more to honor the relationship and exceed the expectations I like of the customer. That. I like that. And my wife, Lee, who is also in the leadership and coaching space, she, she runs a charity for vulnerable girls around the world. But she's always adding value. This little bit extra she goes for the girls that she's helping who've been through uh, abuse and modern day slavery and things like that, or whether it's a client where she gives them extra bits of information or she looks stuff up or posts them a book or something. And, and I, I do admire that. Now you were in the world of sport and for, for many years and sport is a passion of yours. I know you've asked me some great questions already while we were warming up. Right. And I'm interested in health and well-being, a health quotient as I call it, for leadership performance. And um, I'm interested in, in what you do now in your 50s for your physical health and also what you do for your mental health that would be useful tips that, that people listening would go, I do that or I, I'd like to do that. So what, what is it you do to help your physical and your mental health, particularly in this pandemic and the lockdown? Yeah, so I, I think it's, if, if the past nine months have taught us anything is that we need to feed both our, our mental and our physical self, right? This has been a, everyone's been faced with a similar challenge. For me, first from a mental side of the equation, I'm a writer and, and I gotta be honest with you, I don't even really enjoy writing as much as I enjoy what I get from writing. Like I was never very good in, in, in you know, high school or at university. Um, I didn't enjoy the process. Again, I enjoy what I get from it. So one of the things I have done even before the pandemic is every day I commit in the morning to writing, I call just under 1300 characters. So that's about 200 to maybe 225 words. Um, and I posted on LinkedIn. Uh, and it's, you know, I choose different topics, different stories, different case studies that I've collected. 
but it helps me refine my thinking around um, this concept that I call DX. But just that daily process of spending a little time creatively, I create an image that goes with each of the posts. It's under the hashtag the1299. And that, that's strategic because LinkedIn will only allow you to do 1300 characters. So I do one less. I go right up to the, the edge and I step it back one. And so to me, that's a great practice to keep me thinking and examining and iterating. Um, and, uh, and just the comments I get, I love the dialogue. On a physical side, uh, and I've just got back into this in the pandemic, I've gotten back into golf. Mm. And, and I never take a cart unless the course requires it because I like the process of walking in between the shots to get, get the exercise, but also to refocus. Um, and I love the fact that when I'm on the golf course, I'm not checking my email. I put my phone away and it doesn't buzz. Um, so that's great. I love that. Uh, I, in the past I've done, I've done five marathons. Wow. So two years ago, I did the, the Marine Corps marathon, which is in our nation's capital DC. And that was pretty special. And I've done Boston three times and New York once. I, and I, this is like writing. I don't really enjoy running, but I enjoy what I get from it. And I enjoy achieving kind of a goal. Yeah. And so I think that I would lump that in, but it, the side effect is it gets you pretty healthy when you're training. Well, I really admire you for that. And um, thinking about the Marine Corps, um, talking to my friend um, who uh, James Bachelor is in the parachute regiment. Uh, and we did our airborne training together and we got our, our parachute wings wow. at the same time. And, and he is a uh, Colonel Commandant of the Physical Training Corps. And um, he was talking to an instructor. He said, look, I'm in my late 50s. And, you know, what should I be doing now? You know, I've always been doing running with a pack or whatever. And he said, no, sir, now you're in your 50s. You don't want junk miles. He calls them junk mm -hmm. miles because it's quite inflammatory for our bodies. And I'm a marathon runner. In fact, I, my, I hold a world record for a double mountain marathon um, in Cyprus, which is another story in itself. Wow. No, it's, it's about you, not about me today. But the, the point was, I now am cutting down junk miles. So the most he advised is 5K. And, and I've given up my marathons. And my uh, I, I still do the triathlon, but I do sprint triathlon, which is only a 5K run anyway. It's the, it's the swim. It's the cycle, you know, 20. Right. 22k cycle and that way is quite manageable but you don't get the inflammation in the body and when i look back at some of those long distance uh marathons that i did and endurance you you get a lot of time it takes the body to recover because you've caused mass inflammation in the body so yes it gives you the buzz of doing things and a great sense of achievement but things like hit training and weight training and stuff is what they're really recommending and shorter sessions i've got an elliptical trainer in my garage that I work away on. And that's great. And doesn't, I'm not getting the pounding, which I used to, uh, which caused so much problems in my knees and my back and my hips. Right. 
that seems to be the advice at the moment. So maybe that's the next big thing for you. Well, Move- you'll, you'll appreciate this, Jonathan. I, I tell people things happen in life for a reason. So when I was in my mid thirties, I got diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Wow. So when you talk about inflammation, people aren't familiar with RA, your body is attacking your joints. And so I worked, uh, those four previous marathons were before RA. uh, And where I get it the most and where I've had a lot of use because I grew up playing tennis um, and previous life golf, I have a lot of wear already on my wrists. So it forced me, um, and having young kids at the time, it forced me to, I actually put down the clubs for about 11 years and thinking I would never get back into golf or I would never run a marathon again. And so the, the beauty is uh, the, the treatment for RA has come a long way. Uh, and, you know, that was a big, a big thing for me to actually recommit and do another marathon and to pick up the clubs now in the last four or five months, it's just been a, you know, a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, but the thing is, if I hadn't got RA, I don't know if I would have ever pursued being a writer because that filled up a lot of the time that I would normally dedicate to sport. Yeah. It is interesting what happens in our lives and how, how it shapes us. Um, and also the people who give us advice. And, and just thinking on the topic of giving advice, IQ is the, is the next component. Um, wisdom, judgment, decision-making. Who, who is it that you rely on to, to give you wisdom and judgment now in later life? And, and have you ever used a coach, a mentor? And, and if so, how good were they? And where did they help you? And I'm not talking about just a, a sports coach who, who is coaching you on your Sure. I'm talking about a, a, a leadership coach when you were in marketing. Yeah. So great question. My marketing and my brand career, I think the idea of getting coaching back 20, you know, a couple decades ago was a really foreign concept. I can tell you when I decided to make the leap, Jonathan, to become an author and a speaker after my first book came out, a couple of people advised me, hey, you should get some coaching. And I ended up working with a guy named Mark Levy, who's worked with folks like uh, Marshall Goldsmith and Simon Sinek, um, Callie Yost, David Meerman Scott. And he really helped me in terms of thinking about my platform and really about, more importantly, kind of my reason for for being, you know, what was, what was the reason for me to do this? And, and I, I really think that that investment that I made just over eight years ago was invaluable because we have a saying here in the, in the South Southern part of the United States that I have, I didn't grow up here, but I absolutely love this. You cannot see the label when you're sitting inside the jar. All right. And so the ability for someone to be able to ask you the right questions, to be able to give you feedback and challenge you is invaluable. Um, now, 
one of the things I, I don't use a coach now per se, Jonathan, but I do have uh, a mastermind of five other professional speakers that all are independent entrepreneurs like myself. And we meet on a monthly basis, virtually, and then we will spend a day and a half together three times a year to work through every personally, professionally, uh, financially. Um, and, and that's a group that I lean on for, for kind of coaching and advice and mentorship. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And, and I, I have a group of CEOs I coach, which we call the board you can't afford. And they, they love helping each other. And I'm the facilitator for them. And they keep meeting for the last three years we've kept meeting. And I, ne I never charge them for it. I suppose I could de design a business model where I do, but I get so much from hearing them. They say, I share things here I wouldn't share with anybody else because you're my peer group, a CEO in a different organization or an admiral in the Navy, one of them is. And it's fascinating and it's a privilege when they look for each other's wisdom and experience to help them. Um, which, which goes on to the next element, which is emotional quotient, EQ, and much spoken about 30 years ago when it sort of first came out with Daniel Goleman and uh, Ruben Baron, who worked with us to design the, uh, the tool around inspiring leadership, uh, who helped Daniel Goleman uh, with his work. He was the guy in the background. Um, what, what have you done to, to develop your skill in listening, rapport building, empathy, um, knowing when to read people and reading a room when you're a speaker? For me, it's, it's, I think the advice that I would give, it's all about embracing the pause. And, and I know myself being an influence, always wanting to come up with the idea um, be the center of attention within a room. To me, I've really had to uh, step back and embrace what I call the power of the pause because uh, that ability to, between statements, to pause and read the room is absolutely critical. And, and I, tr I try genuinely to, to embrace this idea of lanyap, the idea of always trying to figure out ways that I can do little things to elevate everyone else that's also in the room and make sure that everyone feels like they're part of the group. Um, the, the idea of, of, of this idea of a pause Part of that comes from just being a very good or demonstrating the qualities of a great speaker. And so the, the best technique anyone has ever given to me, Jonathan, is the concept of STOP. And STOP is an acronym for single thought, one person. Meaning that when you're presenting virtually or in person, you would look at one person within the room or on your screen and deliver a single thought to that one person. 
And then you cannot speak again till you look at someone else and you deliver a single thought to that one person. That, allow, that bit of pause allows people to take in what you've just said. It allows you the ability to read the room. And it also eliminates any of the ands, the ums, the you knows, the sos. And it also gives you time to kind of put together what your you're gonna say next. You don't feel like you have to be constantly thinking about your next phrase. Brilliant, I love it. And I think I'm, I'm listening to the autobiography of Promised Land by Obama and he's reading it himself. And he was always teased for being quite slow speaking, but actually it's profound and I hang on his every word and so yeah, I'll take stop away. Single thought, one person. I love that. Great bit of advice for anybody listening. Thank you, Stan. And, and then going on to the, um, the, the third to the last, which is resilience, RQ against adversity and setbacks and disappointment. What have you learned? And being a, you know, in sports, it must be a big part of your life anyway. And particularly if you think about those marathons you've done and overcoming the, um, the rheumatoid arthritis, which I cannot imagine how much pain it is because I get it in my, both my toes from my army marching. Um, I think it's um, the, the toe joints have got pushed in. Is um, how, how have you learnt resilience to overcome adversity? And when you've slipped and fallen, how do you pick yourself back up again? Yeah, the, the, I think I take a lot of lessons from playing sport. Um, so you think about, I grew up playing tennis, played at the, the college level here in the U.S., coached when I was in, did my graduate work. And the, the beauty of tennis is that, you know, you don't win until you win the last point. You know, the, the clock doesn't run out no one subs in for you in tennis, right? Mm. You've got to figure out the, the, you've got to figure it out. And again, the only point that really matters is the last one. Yeah. And, and so to me, resilience to me is, is if I think about one of my greatest qualities is just being stubborn right? Probably not knowing better that I should give up because I've, and, th and this is a, there's a great tennis player from back in the seventies and the eighties, Jimmy Connors. Yeah. 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 Very famous. And, and he said something that's so fantastic. I think that sums up this ethos of a tennis player. He was one of the most fierce competitors ever. And so they asked him, they said, you know, you know, what, what lesson did you take from like losing a tennis match? And he said, I've never lost a tennis match. And he said, I just ran out of time to be able to figure out the, you know, the challenge or the problem that was presented. And I thought that was a brilliant way. You know, that's, 
you know, that's what I try to instill in my kids is that, you know, keep pushing forward and try to figure it out. You don't have control over the outcome, but you have control of, of what you put into it to influence that outcome. Um, and, you know, there, there are times where uh, th- that stubbornness has got me into challenges, right? There's mm-hmm. times where I probably should have pulled the plug but if I look back on my life there, you know, that is something that has served me so well, even though I've, it, it's hurt me in some things, it's given me so much and I would, I would never wish it otherwise. Yeah. And, and your parents made it to almost 59 years. Are you still married or has it not worked out for you? I, I, fingers crossed. Uh, I, we just celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Well done. And um, yeah, so I, I don't think I'm going to get to 59. Okay. Uh, just because I think the engine's going to wear out before then. But uh, yeah. How old are your sons now? I have two teenage boys, Jonathan. So uh, a 13 year old and a soon to be 15 year old. Okay. So they're in that sort of hormonal attitudinal stage. Or if they're not yet, they will be soon. Are they grunting or are they speaking yet? Uh, they, they're the oldest who's about to turn 15 is in full grunt mode. So, uh, but no, they're, they're good kids. They're both into, uh, soccer or your football. Uh, and, uh, my youngest, uh, has aspirations of being a field goal kicker oh. one day in the NFL. So, yeah. well, good luck with that. I hope that works okay. out. Okay, so the final two is brand and then legacy. So brand, obviously, I'm speaking to a marketeer with years of experience and 17 books. <clears throat> but what have you done to learn about your own mistakes and any 360 feedback you had as a speaker or whatever? And because, and, of course, your brand, uh, as you say, is what's written on the outside of the jar when you're inside. So how have you got feedback on how others perceive you and, and what they say about you when you're not in the room? It's a, it's a great challenge. I think we all have to learn as our own brand that your, your brand is no longer what you tell people it is. Your, your brand is what your customers experience. It's how they feel during that experience. And most importantly, Jonathan, it's what they tell other people about that experience. Um, So I've had to learn here, especially during the pandemic of saying, look, you can't be all things to all people. You need to really focus on what you're passionate about and where you can make the biggest difference. So that's one of the, I think the greatest gifts. If I look back now, you know, four or five years ago would be, hey, you were going with your book series very kind of across a lot of different topic areas, whereas you should have went really deep on this concept of DX or a differentiated experience that you provide to your customers, your employees, and your brand experience. Mm. Um, and, And again, part of that has been 
Um, the daily practice of writing has helped borne that out. The feedback that I've gotten from that mastermind group to help mm. me work through that. And to be honest, you know, having to kind of, you know, re-examine what it means to be a speaker now in a virtual world. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, um, it's, it's a fascinating area. So, and, and adjusting and, and thinking about that and the world we're in and the world we're going to leave. What would the final one is legacy quotient. Um, what would you like your legacy to be personally and from your work? My, my hope is that, and this is my mantra, I'm a marketer by training. And so again, the thing that led me on this quest was that I thought that marketing was too focused on data and trying to chase the prospect. And that really that your brand is truly about the experience that you create. And so more of the attention and marketing should be focused on being able to create that differentiated experience. And what I really realized along the way is that you can focus, Jonathan, on the customer, you know, and think that they're the end all and be all. But unless you have a committed team of employees, right, that can deliver that experience, you're dead in the water. And so to me, it's been an experience of, of being able to continuously think about how business can be a lever to improve the world. Yeah. And, and, and I, I've, I firmly believe, Jonathan, that we're going to live in a world very soon where we don't see the difference between a nonprofit and a for-profit business. We'll only see businesses that are for purpose and those that are not for purpose. Yeah. I and I think the ones that have a grounded purpose that have the ability that they're pursuing that North star and vision that they can rally their employees around that and they can effectively deliver it to the customers that they serve is going to be the thing that improves the world. That is fantastic. And the final bonus before we finish and do stay on the line when we do end recording, because we'll have a final chat, but you worked in IBM as a futurologist um, and you're always interested in what's next and as a marketer, what would you leave people with in the world you think will be like in 2021 and 2022 from, from, a, from the business environment that we're going to work in? What's, what's it going to be like is your prediction? Right. So if pre-COVID was black and post-COVID was white, I think we're going to have to manage the gray between those two worlds it's not going to go back to an in-person world and it's not going to stay a virtual world another nine months from now. Great leaders and great companies are going to be able to manage the gray between in-person and virtual. Hmm. Uh, and I think that's going to be the, the greatest challenge as we move forward. Yeah. 
Well, Stan Phelps, thank you very much indeed. It was very entertaining, thoroughly engaging, and I can see why you're very successful. Thank you for being on the Inspiring Leadership Series, Stan. Thank you for having me, John. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.